Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Bun B and Andy Wynn from Trillburgers coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm well. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Kuchara owners Anna Beaven and Charlie McDaniel announced that they are opening Kucharita, a coffee shop, cafe, and event space right down the street from Kuchara in the former Pepper Twins space next to Bohem. Mary, I know you're a Kuchara fan, so maybe just talk a little bit about what you like about that restaurant because it is about to turn 10 years old next month. Well, let's see. I, first of all, love the owners. Um, they're so gracious and they're so talented. Uh, the food here is very authentic. I think a lot of times on the weekends, you know, people are curious of what brunch options they have in Montrose from Mexican and Tex-Mex, but this is true Mexico city. Uh, food that they've been putting out here. I love the huitalacoche that they serve. It's not something you can get uh, very often here in Houston or in Texas in general. So I don't know. I just, there's a welcoming, fun environment that they've always created there. Their wait on the weekends is crazy. So I'm not totally surprised that they wanted to do something nearby. And I, I'm curious to see if they want to use it also to help with their overflow on those weekend brunch days where they're at a two, three hour wait. Yes. I mean, I, I talked to Anna, you know, for an interview for an article on Culture Map, and she said, essentially, in the beginning, they were looking for a, an auxiliary kitchen that they could do some prep work and and help with their catering business because that's become very successful for them. And then when they saw the Pepper Twin space, they thought, oh, well, that'll be our second kitchen. And we can do events there, you know, private, private dinners or concerts or visiting artists or whatever. But Charlie, every time they go to Mexico City, loves breakfast and he really wanted to do a breakfast place. So coffee, pan dulce, chilaquiles, a torta, some other egg dishes uh, with a full bar. So cocktails. And then Anna's really excited about caviar service. She's having custom plateware made. Uh, they're going to make all these little corn-based vessels, I guess, for, you know, you know, blini and, and macarons and, and whatever else to, to have masa pancakes as a mechanism to eat the caviar with, with the coutrement, creme fraiche and chipotle cream and, and all these other things. So she's very excited about it. But I guess the, the short answer to your question is no. I mean, I think they're, I don't think it's going to be overflow for Kuchara's brunch menu. In fact, she was very she was very specific that there's not going to be any overlap between the Kuchara brunch menu and the Kucharita, you know, breakfast and lunch kind of cafe menu, but it will give people an alternative, I suppose, to waiting, to waiting for a table at Kuchara. Especially with a full bar, get some margaritas right. while you're waiting. Yeah. Or a, or a Paloma, uh, you know, she's talking about martinis. So having said all that, what are your kind of expectations? Easy for me to say. For Cucharita, I don't think of you as a big breakfast person, but but is this appealing to you? It's appealing to me probably mostly on the weekends, right? Weekdays, I don't know 
I don't know where their schedule is going to lie, but they there's definitely room for more coffee shops in Montrose. I mean, they, we've lost some stalwarts in the last year with Southside Espresso, for example, where Uchi is. And I think there's always room for no, for more additions uh, in the neighborhood for something like this, especially I imagine the price points are going to be a lot more casual than Kuchara, so they'll expand um, the amount of people that can dine with them, which I think is great. Yeah, it's funny. Fairview kind of has that that Fairview Chum kind of stretch is like breakfast breakfast central in Montrose, right? You got Baby Barnaby's, uh, you got Harry's, and now you'll have Kucharita. I, I mean, I have to say, weekday breakfast is not like a regular indulgence for me, but it is something I really enjoy when I can sort of juggle my schedule and make it work. So I'm really excited about this personally. And like I said, I think it, this is a neighborhood that's kind of used to that weekday breakfast vibe. Anyone who's ever been to Kuchara, I think will be excited about this. And it's kind of, you know, I could see it being like a, you know, coffee meetup before going on to the office downtown. All of those things are possibilities. So I, I just, yeah, I think, I think this is going to be an exciting addition to everything Kuchara does. And yeah, I think you're right. I mean, obviously the weekends are just going to be absolutely bonkers. I could see people picking up a bunch of pastries and coffees and stuff to take to their office for meetings in the morning, you know, especially if their catering business is picking up so much. I could see that being a valuable component for it. You and I are not the earliest of risers. (laughs) Hey, now I am a responsible adult. I am up at reasonable hours. I am I am up in time to go to breakfast, whether I am organized enough to make it there and still get all my work done for morning deadlines is another question. I am when I need to be. How about that? Fair enough. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on Cucharito before I move on? No, excited to try it, though. And congratulations to the owners. They're so they're so kind and such important parts of our community. All right. Topic number two, the night shift space will soon have a new occupant. Agricole Hospitality has leased it to be a second location of Eight Row Flint. That is their patio bar in the Heights devoted to whiskey, tacos, and agave cocktails. Mary, what do you think about Eight Row Flint as a fit for the East End? I think this is a good chance for them to plug and play in a neighborhood that they don't have exposure in uh, yet, especially with the scale of of the space, the rooftop, you know, the rooftop for me kind of gives them what they have at 11th in Yale. It gives them that big outdoor space. I think that's an essential component for them. And I'm excited to see what they can make not out of a food truck. I think they, the sky's really the limit on, on what they can make in this space. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit on, on the two biggest aspects that are appealing, right? The, the first is that rooftop patio. With the view of the downtown skyline, it won't be quite as expansive as the patio is at Eight Row Flint in the Heights, but it, it will give it that same kind of patio vibe. And also that the night shift space has a full kitchen and everything everything that's ever been served at Eight Row Flint has come out of a food truck. And so, you know, Marcelo, Marcelo Garcia is the executive chef for Eight Row Flint. He's been there for a really long time. And, you know, I don't know what he can do in a kitchen that he can't do at a food truck, but I'm sure there are some things and I'm excited to see what they are because the quality of the the food at 
at eight row has always been good. And, you know, we talk about, you know, tortillas so often, I mean, they've, they've from the very beginning, you know, corn tortillas made from nixtamalized corn. So that's typical of agricultural hospitality where they're really focused on ingredients and process and doing things the right way. So, you know, this will allow them to be bigger and better. And, you know, I, I have to say as someone who went to night shift quite a bit in its short run, uh, this is not far from where I live. I, I can see myself going there even as often as once or twice a month. And I see it being a popular space venue before and after games, whether it's Dynamo or Astros or whatnot. I mean, people can literally just hop on the light rail if they need to. Dynamo Stadium's really not that far. Um, so I think it'll do I think it'll do very well with people that want to grab a drink before or after a downtown event and a bite. So I, I, I do like this space. I think this is a good fit for them. I like seeing them come outside of the Heights and venture into new neighborhoods. Well, and, and you've been spending more and more time in the East end these days. And, and so I think you have a feel kind of for what, how that neighborhood is evolving and, and a Flint seems like the right kind of addition, you know, not pretentious, relatively affordable, very casual, yeah. come as you are. That all makes sense to me. Yeah, I think people being able to get a beer and a shot and if they carry over their happy hour and their tacos and all those things, that will ingratiate themselves with the neighborhood. I love this neighborhood. I think it's only becoming more dense. It's youthful. It's access to all different parts of town and multiple freeways makes it appealing. Um, and I think you know more beverage and, and dining options will will help attract more uh, people to move to this part of town. So yeah, excited. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, the owners of Blood Brothers Barbecue, Hui Wong, Robin Wong, and Terry Wong, are working on opening a new restaurant called Lulu's Day and Night in Garden Oaks. To get ready for that, they have hired Chef Arash Karat, formerly of Buffalo Bayou Brewing Company, be kind of a culinary director, overseeing both locations, freeing them up to do other projects, right? They have a location in, in Las Vegas at a food hall. Arash, someone who's been a friend of theirs for a long time. He's cooked with them for a long time. It's it's really a it's an exciting partnership. And and having met with them and talked to them about their plans for Lulu's, which is uh, this kind of all-day cafe that's going to do you know, breakfast pastries and, and egg dishes and all that stuff in the morning, you know, sandwiches for lunch. And then, you know, they're still kind of, you know, dinner kind of in the style of what they do Thursday nights at Blood Brothers. You know, I, I, I think it's a it's an exciting addition to their team. And, you know, they're working with Alyssa Dole, the pastry chef, who has been basically everywhere. She's going to do Australian-style sausage rolls, barbecue kolaches. I mean... She makes all the breads for Blood Brothers, all the, the desserts, the cupcakes, all that stuff. So, you know, sky's the limit as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I like Blood Brothers quite a bit. And obviously I'm spending a lot of time in a city that has a lot of barbecue. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what Chef has cooked up for them. You and I have eaten with him often over the years and he's super talented. So this will be a nice collaboration, I think. You know, they were finalists for the James Beard Award, Best Chef Texas this year, and they didn't quite get it. Uh, food writer out of Dallas was like, I didn't think it was super consistent. It wasn't very polished for me. I, I feel like they've still got a ways to go. 
Mary, what do you think? I mean, is hiring a rush like the difference between winning the James Beard Award and not winning the James Beard Award? I certainly think it elevates them. I mean, to try to pick your pick into the brain of like what gets you to the finish line for James Beard and what doesn't. I mean, it's comprised of so many factors and some of them are known and some of them are unknown. Uh, I think Houston's barbecue scene is incredible. You know, everybody always gets into a debate between all of these smaller towns that have great barbecue and some of the bigger towns, like obviously Austin with Franklin's and Houston, we're lucky to have truth and so many others, but I think anything you can do to raise your profile and to bring on a chef that's really well liked is, is a smart move. I, I think that's right. And I think that's well said. Like I remember when they were doing pop-ups at bars on Washington Avenue. So it's, it's always like, wow, you know, that they, they opened this restaurant in 2018 and it took off and kind of the world has discovered them featured in the New York times featured in other national magazines, uh, Texas monthly top 50 James Beard finalists. I mean, it's really astonishing how far they've come. And I like that instead of being like, wow, this is everything we ever wanted. We're great. They're like, okay, how can we, how can we continue to grow? How can we improve? How can we, we get to the next level? So certainly Arash is part of that, you know, working with Alyssa Dole is part of that and opening this new restaurant is part of that. And, and it's going to be a really exciting fall for, for new openings. I mean, certainly, you know, Don Burrell's working on late August. Uh, Evelyn Garcia and her business partner, Henry, are working on June by Ken. I mean, there's a lot kind of coming down the pike. But, you know, Lulu's, I think, will be right there in terms of uh, the places we're talking about as the best new restaurants of the year. Absolutely. There's so many openings, so lots to keep up with. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the News of the Week. We will be right back with our Restaurant of the Week. Stick around. podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Mary, for our Restaurant of the Week, I want to talk to you about Il Bracco. This is a Dallas-based Italian restaurant that just opened at the corner of San Felipe and Post Oak in the former California Pizza Kitchen space. 
I mean, obviously I have my thoughts on all of it, but let me just throw it to you. I mean, when you walked in the building, what were your kind of first impressions in terms of the, the design and the, the style? Well, when you walk in, immediately it has a look and a feel that's similar to Houston's. <laughs> I think that's what I remarked to you first. There's just, there's something that Hillstone restaurants, and I'm always and forever going to call it Houston's. I don't care. <laughs> um, but these low hung ceilings, these this dim light, these, you know, booths in the main dining room that kind of group everybody together. There are some tables and it's, but it's separated enough from the bar. You can still oversee and overlook the bar as well. I mean, it's, this is a specific type of design that obviously they're not guessing and it, it's, it works very well. It's a, a cozy environment that makes you feel like you're escaping the hot Houston heat and humidity for sure in the summer. Really pretty design. Yeah, and and we should say right the the owners of the hospitality group, Robert Quick and Matt Gottlieb, are Houston's veterans. So yes, that there's a certain overlap. I think makes a certain amount of sense, but it's also just a really pretty restaurant. I mean, it it it's a thoughtful, comfortable design. They've got the big booths. They've got the, you know, the centrally located bar. There's there's a lot about, you know, the big open windows. I mean, there's a lot about the design that that just kind of welcomes people in. And and I think, you know, it, it creates that kind of homey's the wrong word, but, but maybe more of an elegant, uh, almost a lounge style environment. I think it's very polished. Very polished. And I think people want comfort when they go out the way that this restaurant is designed. It's, it's meant to make you want to stay. I mean, the dining room kind of reminds me a little bit of blue Dorn, a little bit blue Dorn's maybe a little, brighter than this restaurant is but in terms of layout and functionality it's you know you want to sit here and and stay for a while it's very inviting absolutely and then and then let me ask you about the food i mean we we tasted our way through probably six or seven dishes i mean what were what were a couple of your favorites you know it sounds so tried and true or whatever but i thought they're what i like about this restaurant is heavy you know they've got great pastas and it's going to sound cliche but the steak was beautifully prepared as well uh, i think a lot of times for me my favorite steaks are not at steak houses per se it's usually restaurants that blend other styles of cuisine it kind of reminded me of demarco you could have a great pasta you could also have a great florentine steak um, so those were a couple of my favorite dishes I mean, you know, the one that really stuck out for me were the meatballs, just like a very, you know, a, a very meaty flavor. Obviously, you know, they're doing the the combo of beef, lamb and pork, which is traditional The with the, you know, the bright, slightly sweet um, tomato sauce and that, that great house-made focaccia that comes with it. I mean, the kind of a soft texture, very flavorful. That That was a highlight for me. You know, I thought the the steak tartare traditional with the mustard and the the capers give it some acidity. You know, you you mentioned the pasta. We had the cacioe pepe, lots of pepper bite, right? Bucatini, which always has a nice chew to it, good texture. Uh, the pecorino is really on point, point. Uh, and the steak. I mean, you know, a prime strip for uh, under fifty bucks is uh, pretty much unheard of these days. So I thought that's that's a good value. And yeah, the the desserts, I mean, the, the panna cotta and the, 
and the lemon tart, you know, classic, you know, really, really can't go wrong with either one. Great palate cleansers, really beautifully prepared. I used to hate lemon, anything lemon when I was younger, not even kidding you. I could not eat a lemon tart, but it was delicious. And the, the crust was super crumbly and really great meal. There were no misses, which that was memorable to me. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have been to quite a few of these new Italian restaurants over the last several months. I know you're, you've become a fan of Amore. Uh, we went to Marmo together. We went to uh, the one in River Oaks District, whose name I'm blanking on, which is somewhat embarrassing. Uh, Concura. <laughs> Concura. Right. We went to Concura. We went to the one at uh, the Hotel Grand Duca. Slot this for people. Like help. Like if if they're they're looking at all of you know Trattoria Sofia. I mean, yeah. looking at all of these new Italian restaurants. I kind of group them into a couple different categories. For me, Kakura and Amore are going to be your smaller scale restaurants, more local in terms of you can see the ownership on the floor, whether it's a husband and wife at Amore where, you know, the husband's the chef. He came from DeMarco. That's such an amazing restaurant. His wife runs the front. Uh, you have a similar kind of dynamic at Kakura. It's husband and wife team. And, I love the intimacy and quality of both of those restaurants in terms of their food. Their food's top notch. I do think when you get to like an Amori for me is quintessential small Italian. Now, when you look at Marmo and you look at the restaurant that we just went to this past week, those are much larger scale. These are professional operations. I know Marmo's restaurant group is out of Baltimore. They've got a couple dozen restaurants that's less dark it's more light and bright just in terms of its design and its hustling and bustling i know they do you know four or five hundred people on a weekend night so if you want a thriving bustling non-stop scene el Bracco and uh, and marmo are probably more uh, the scene if you want something smaller and local concura and amori are where it's at but they're also equally hard to get in because they're very small in comparison yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's right. And, you know, Marmo, I think, you know, the, the biggest separator between Marmo and El Bracco is going to be price, right? Because Marmo is really just all about those dry aged steaks. And, and obviously that comes at a premium. Or you could do the chicken, you know, you could do the, the chicken parm. You can, you can stick to the pastas. You can save a little money that way. Uh, and it has a happy hour. I don't know if El Bracco, will El Bracco have a happy hour? You know, I assume that it will. I don't know if they've, quite priced that yet. Uh, but I will say the, the one thing about both those restaurants is they're open for lunch and dinner every day. And, and Cont- there's a continuous real, service. Yeah. There's a real hospitality to that. And I, I understand why restaurants either don't offer lunch or close between lunch and dinner. I completely like there's costs involved. I understand that. But as a consumer, the hospitality of, Oh man, you know, it's two o'clock. I haven't really eaten yet. I don't want to walk in on lunch service 10 minutes before that, you know, 10 minutes before they close. Like you don't have to worry about that at Obraco. You can come in, you can have a full menu, you can have a great experience. And, and I think there's real hospitality in that. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think you're right. I think Obraco physically larger, uh, a little higher energy, but, but like great, like, you know, I've, I've not been there twice. Uh, impressed by the food both times. I think it's I think it's relatively affordable. 
and it's 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 very approachable in terms of uh, you know the menu items and and being kind of familiar but well executed. Uh, my my lazy food writer version, and I'll, I'll let you react to this, and then we'll we'll wrap <laughs> this up. Is it's a little bit like if Carabas in Houston's had a baby. Hundred percent facts. <laughs> <laughs> I also think you know talking about all these restaurants, it's I think El Braco probably appeals more to the Tanglewood Memorial Galleria crowd. It's at San Felipe and Post Oak. A lot of people think of Six Ten as like the Great Divide in terms of where people will and won't go. I know it seems silly, but it's true. And I think that kind of services that. And I think Marmo services River Oaks, Montrose, you know, Museum District, Westview, that kind of crowd more a little bit. I think Concura and Amori could appeal to either. You know, they're both similarly located. Concura is closer to River Oaks District. Amori's shepherd in alabama more or less so you've got you know you've got options of whether you want to stick into your neighborhood or if you want to meet a group of your friends at a newer restaurant and venture out a little more absolutely and then you know i didn't uh i didn't put this on the agenda but uh you and i have both been to cafe louis quite a bit for their dinner service and so uh you know i I put up an instagram post recently kind of waxing waxing rhapsodic about everything on that menu, but I just thought I'd give you a minute or two to just talk about what you like about Cafe Louie. Oh, I love so much about Cafe Louie. Start with the pastries. When you can have both myself and my mother hooked, you know you've done a good job. Uh, My mom literally was like, I need two morning bones a week for the rest of my life. So um, Chef Angelo's sister is in charge of the pastry program here, she hails from Tartine in California. I was just out in California at Tartine and her pastries are as good, if not better than Tartine. It's just incredible. So I like a good spot where you can have a meeting, you can have coffee, you can have some pastries and it's not pretentious. People leave you alone. It's very nice for that. And then, you know, dinner service is relatively new for them here in the last month or so. And the food is just incredibly fresh and vibrant and it's a, a younger take on all of the things I like. It's, it's uh, lovely to see Angela's growth in the kitchen and the love and the care that goes into preparing these dishes. He doesn't cut corners on the ingredients. He's sourcing from all of the best farmers. And I just, it makes my heart happy to see a place like this. Uh, we're very, we're very lucky to have a lot of good restaurants in the East End, Street to Kitchen. Obviously, this um, are two of my favorites. So, yeah, I'm always about the small guy and continuous service. You know, they, they're clocking a lot of hours right now. They open at 7 a.m. That's an early start to a day, and they do dinner service as well. So lots of opportunities to be able to check them out. Definitely worth a truck. And just to be a little bit specific about dinner, it's that really kind of classic Bistro style menu, you know, for the most part, right? Chicken liver mousse, vegetable dishes, a a very well-prepared shrimp cocktail with the green cocktail sauce. Two or three pastas kind of depends on the day, but the, you know, the tajarin with the, like the roasted mushrooms, really earthy, really savory, really satisfying. And then the the garganelle with the the wild boar ragu, you know, and then just three or four entrees, right? Uh, Always that half chicken, crispy skin 
with that bright bread and arugula salad, lightly dressed, you know, a fish typically the last time I was there, they were doing a buffet special 35 bucks for a Wagyu steak. Again, like that's a great in, in this current economy. I mean, that's a great deal for a quality piece of meat. And yeah, I've just been, I've been really impressed with the dinner there and it just deserves to be busier. And so to the extent that, to the extent that anyone uh, that's listening to this cares about my recommendations, uh, go to Cafe Louis for dinner and enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. See you soon. All right. I will be right back with Bun B and Andy Wynn. I am joined this week by the owners of Trill Burgers. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so that people can hear your voices. Bun B, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mr. Sandler. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Bun. This is my voice. Andy Wynn, welcome. Thank you. I'm out here in California right now, but uh, good morning to everyone in Houston. All right. Thank- thanks for doing this. Bun, let me start with you. I, I This may be the strangest podcast you've ever done because I basically do not intend to ask you anything about your music career. I'm really only interested in you as, as a food lover. So, I mean, I met you about 10 years ago when you were judging a chef competition at Uchi. Yes. When did you like first kind of get into restaurants, fine dining, all, all of that? I I would say my entry point came from meeting Josh um, that ran the modular. Um, It was a local, great local chef. Um, Coming out of Fitzgerald's one night, um, he was out there in his little silver Airstream trailer. And I realized he was selling food. I could tell there was a line of people. So I go up and I look at the menu and the menu says, the first thing I see is lobster risotto. And so I asked, I said, um, I said, hey man, this thing says lobster risotto. So like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, um, you can order a lobster risotto. And I was like, okay, but how? Cause you're like outside in an airstream. Like how, how, how is that possible? He's like, I'll show you. And I literally watched him in that trailer cook a lobster risotto. I ate it. It was one of the risottos I've ever had. I'd never had one with lobster. It was amazing. And it just kind of blew my mind that you could cook. It was two parts, right? One, that you could cook that kind of a food like outside of a restaurant. And then two, that people that operate food trucks are like chefs. They're not like cooks. You know, like yeah, it takes, it's, a, it's a long way from like a, a taco truck on the side of a road, yeah. lobster risotto on the modular. Yeah, this was, you know, but that was the only, I guess, interaction I'd ever had with a food truck. As you say, you know, there's a new neighborhood springing up somewhere. Um, you drive through, you see a construction crew. Typically around those construction crews, there's food trucks 
and those food trucks tend to be pretty good. That's basically one of the tools my wife and I use to go and find new food trucks in the city is to go to newly developed subdivisions and see who's feeding them. And so from that point on, I got very curious about who else was in a truck or somewhere outside cooking food. And uh, I think my next one would have been Oh My Gogi, um, which like obviously I had no introduction whatsoever into um, Bulgogi before. So that was a new find for me. I beat them up for a while. That was followed by, I would say the Waffle Bus and then the Eatsy Boys. And Mean Ryan and Matt really, they, they really honestly opened me up to a whole world of things. I remember we were all being interviewed for something. And after the interview, um, they were like, uh, we're about to go. I think they said they were going to go eat dinner at Uchi. And I was like, what's Uchi? And they just, they just looked at me like, you've never had Uchi? And I was like, no, it was a Japanese, I'm assuming. He was like, yeah, but still, like, you need to go today. And so. Right, get in the car, we're going. Right. And so I went to Uchi, had an amazing meal. But then that began a friendship with Philip Spear. And from Philip, I ended up meeting Chris, Lyle, and just, just opened me up to like what Houston's true culinary scene was. And from that point on, I was like, I want to be here. I don't ever want to leave here. I like this place. I like these people. Uh, please let me just live here. And I've just been singing the praises of Houston's culinary scene ever since, as as much as people can hear me as far as my voice can carry. And just waiting for the right chance to actually have an entry point into the scene. A good friend of mine, uh, Premium Pete and I started a food blog, YouGottaEatThis.com, uh, you basically because of our shared love of food. But we figured at the, you know, at the best, maybe it'll help us get good, good tables and really good restaurants, right? That was, that was, that was like the, the idea. And at the worst, you know, you know, maybe we'll get a free meal every now and then somewhere, you know, at a food truck or something. And it just really evolved into a real passion for him and, and myself. He has like partnered on different products with people. He helped create the, um, what is that? It's, it's the hot sauce that Rob Kardashian released. I, I, I don't know why I want to talk Grand Duke and I know it's not Grand Duke. Grandeza, Grandeza, yeah, with Nick. Yeah. Is, is that what it is with Nikki Diamonds? Yeah, Grandeza, I think that's the one that they put together, yeah. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know why I want to call it Grand Duke, but that's a hotel in Houston. Um, and he also has his own pasta sauce. And so both of us have found our entry point into, like, the food business, just based on our, you know, shared love of food, you know? And then, obviously, one day I got the call to meet Andy and try this burger, and the rest is history, as they, or will be, I guess, history. Right. Well, good. That that's actually you, you've set me up perfectly, Andy. Let me ask you about your background in the restaurant business. I I think I've read that you're called the mashup king, but but I don't honestly know, I don't honestly know what you mash up. So, so, <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about about your background and kind of how you you got to you got to the point where you're meeting Bun B to launch your burger business. Yeah. So. A decade ago, I was not in the restaurant industry at all. I was in the apparel industry of streetwear clothing. Uh, I had a brand called I'm King Clothing uh, that I launched in 2007. And I met Bun 
at a trade show out in Las Vegas, um, as always, already as a fan of his music. And, you know, I had product. He came by the booth and, you know, I put my hat on him and he supported and wore it throughout the rest of the show. And, you know, I have pictures of it to this day that, that, that I hold in value. And um, from there, you know, just I, I got I jumped into the food industry, starting a concept called Afters Ice Cream, uh, putting together this donut and ice cream. And that kind of put me on the map of, you know, mashing things up in food. You know, I did this thing called the sushi donut that made me go super viral at one point. Um, I've done this mac and cheese bun type of burger. You know, we fried the mac and cheese and use those as, as the buns and you know, a lot of different things that we put together. So, you know, after I did this, I filmed this, this taping with Food Network, they, they ended up calling me the mashup king. So then how did you and Bun get connected for a burger restaurant? Yeah, so I um, helped launch a restaurant called Sticky's Chicken out in, in Houston, the Midtown area. Um, and we happened to open two months before the pandemic started. Um, so th throughout that, that journey, it was a, an uphill battle. And what I saw was I saw when I, when I finally, I, I didn't actually get to go back to Houston for I think a year and a half after we grand opened. You know, just because everything got shut down, my wife wouldn't let me fly anymore. And when I finally got there, I was like, there's a lot, there's a lot of downtime in the kitchen. You got, you know, I was like, a lot of people are doing these ghost kitchen, these pop-up ideas. And, you know, once I started getting going around eating and I was like, you guys don't have any, you guys, don't, you guys aren't doing smash burgers out here. Like no one's doing it. Um, and I wanted to, you know, bring more kitchen time into to, for the staff. I was like, hey, you guys, you know, I've got a great smash burger that I've been developing for a long time and I want to do something out here, but it, I want to do it right and yeah, let's, let's just let's just reach out to bun and see what he thinks and that's how that's kind of how it all came together yeah i guess bun let me let me bring you back into this i mean what like had you thought about getting into the restaurant business before and then you know kind of why a burger as opposed to a chicken sandwich or a pizzeria or tacos or, or anything else that you you could be sort of putting your brand on well, it's funny you say chicken sandwich, right? Because there was the hot wing sandwich that I did in collaboration with Antones um, a couple of years right, back. Right. You know, and and so yeah, Eric, I had been looking for an opportunity. I, I honestly thought it would have been a truck, you know, and I had discussed with a few people ideas about some sort of food truck, but it was always going to be in partnership with somebody that already had some some momentum or some energy, right? I'm not a chef, I'm not even a cook, um, so to speak. So the culinary side of it would not have come for me, right? Um, the role that I would have been is pretty much the role that I play now, right? Um, as far as Troll Burgers, I am the host, right? I am pretty much the carnival, you know, barker, trying to convince people to come into the tent, right? Um, but I'm not selling snake oil, right? It's not a, it's not a hoax. It's not a, it's not some kind of, you know, scheme or anything. When I tried this burger, I honestly believed that it was the best burger I'd ever tried. And I couldn't believe that they'd come to me to partner with for this, this burger. They, I, I told, I told people all the time, this burger would have been successful at some point with or without me, right? Andy's a successful businessman. He's done many ventures uh, before, and he knows a good idea when he sees one. 
And this burger was an amazing idea. And so the notion that this burger would not have succeeded without me is preposterous because when I tasted it, I knew this burger was going to win and I just had to figure out how to be a part of it. Um, Andy, you know, laid out a, a, a very, very fair contract and percentage for me. And because of that, I put everything, Eric, and I mean everything that I had behind this resource wise, you know, called in all my favors to my friends just to try it, right? Like, hey, I know you guys are gonna be at Coachella. I'm gonna be serving my burgers at Coachella. Please, let me give you guys some food. I need you to try this burger. And for me, you know, I'm, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, I wasn't bugging, right? Like we did the first pop-up at Tastemakers. We had a pretty long line, but that's, you know, obviously curiosity will get people there. Bunby says he's got a burger. I wonder what Bunby's burger tastes like, right? But if the burger isn't good, people don't come back, right? Well, and, and even more to the point, like, they kind of want to call bullshit, right? If Bunby's burger yes. sucks, yes. you're going to hear about it. I said that the other day when we had the pop-up, not to, you know, jump ahead or anything, but we recently did a pop-up at 8th Wonder, right? And because we were sent the wrong equipment, had to buy some equipment on the spot, which was not the size of which we needed to deal with the numbers we had, the line ended up being longer and the wait became longer than we would have wanted people to have. So I kept saying, look, if people got to wait three, four, up to six hours for a burger, they are waiting. They would love to shit on that burger, right? You literally would have to have like the, the best burger experience they've ever had. One of the best food, take burgers out of it, right? It would have to be a life-changing food experience for people to to justify for themselves that they waited that long. Because otherwise they are waiting to call, as you said, Eric, bullshit on the burger. Now, people complain about the weight, people complain about the weather, but no one has ever complained about this burger. And we live in a time where people complain about everything. Yes, they do. Andy, let me, let me bring you back. Talk about kind of the construction of the burger because, you know, there's a lot of different burger styles and, and approaches. What is it about a smash burger and, and specifically what you're doing for Trill Burgers that makes it so compelling? I think, you know, when I grew up as a kid, there's two things like my, you know, my, my parents were you know immigrants and my dad really soaked in American culture when, when he came over here uh, to the States. And either my mom was making Vietnamese food or I was out eating fast food. Right. So that's the things that I always grew up on and always connected to me really well. And as I was starting studying Smashburger and trying trying different versions of it, I, I always I was like, hey, this is this is amazing because it brings me back to to eating eating as a kid, backyard parties. And I know everyone was going through that phase of these giant patties and these New York thick burgers. Every and every time I ate those, I, I felt like I needed to go, I, I needed to take a nap. I'm done. I'm done for the day. I can't eat anymore. But when I started, you know, diving into the Smashburger, I was like, hey, this is what this is what a fast food burger should taste like. And once I had that, you know, once I kept eating more and I was like, Hey, I think I can, I think we can make a better one or we can improve on certain things. And that's how we started, you know, developing our burger, finding the bun that worked best, the, 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 the meats, how we, how long we press it for, uh, how we put together the grilled onions, uh, the sauce. I think every, every component of it is, 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 is why it works out. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've been now, you know, Bun mentioned you've been at Coachella, uh, you're at the Rodeo, 
you know, you had the crazy pop up a couple of weeks ago. You've got this pop up at City Hall on on Sunday, Sunday, right? Sunday. Yeah, well, well, I'll be honest, Eric. That's the plan, but obviously, Houston weather is not being conducive to that plan. Um, so that's something that we're really just to be very transparent. We're, we're I'm waiting on City Hall to call me back now. Okay. So, um, but but just maybe tell me a little bit about kind of the experience of these pop ups and kind of what you've learned from serving so many people in all these different environments? Well, obviously local is a lot easier to facilitate than out of town. Um, I did not anticipate the idea of how much it would actually cost to bring Troll Burgers to people outside of Houston. Um, but for me, it was really never about just making money. Obviously as a business, you wanted to be profitable, right? But the beauty of festivals is that we get we get twofold, right? It's twofold. So the first thing is that obviously at a music festival like a Coachella or Rolling Loud, you're in one place for three days, right? You pay one vendor fee, um, but you get three days worth of sales with people. You get exposure to a base of people that are not only from where you're hosting, but from around the country. So a Coachella Music Festival is not just attended by Californians, right? People come from all over the country and all over the world. And so you get to, to serve your food to a myriad of people from all walks of life, from all over the country and potentially the globe. They eat that burger, they go back home, they try to eat a regular burger, they can't, <laughs> right? And they're telling everybody about Trillburgers, Trillburgers. And then also there's the added benefit of if you're at this festival and you're a fan of mine, not only do you get to eat my burger, there's a very good chance that you will actually see me at the booth and potentially get your burger from me and take a picture. Now it's more than just a meal. Now it's an experience. For some people, it becomes very surreal. I went to the festival to get Bumby's burger and Bumby was there at Trill Burgers and Bumby actually gave me my burger. It, give, it makes for a more immersive, deeper connection with people that I already have somewhat of a connection with. Now, the other side, the other benefit of that is that there are plenty of artists at these festivals that I either know personally or have some association with people in their peripheral area, right? So either I know the artist or I know the DJ, the road manager, or someone that can give me access to that artist. And for me, I don't even need to be on stage or backstage or anything. I meet these guys right where transportation is picking them up, right? As soon as they get off, and I know set times, and I know what it's like as an artist. I know exactly when they're going to get on. I know exactly when they're going to come off. They're going to want food after, never before, right? Nobody wants to go on stage after they just had a burger and fries. You know, you kind of want to relax after that. I catch these guys. They have all this residual energy left over because you get a bit of an adrenaline rush, rush in front of these crowds and they're excited. I pull up. I've got fresh, hot food. Oh, man, I can't wait. Let me try it. They get it. They bite into it. And it's actually a really good fucking burger, you know, and you get that. And so I try to explain to people that a trill burger is not just a burger. Right. And it's easy for me to say to that because it's my burger, right? But it's not the typical burger. Most people uh, typically eat a patty that's either pre-cooked or even a, the whole burger is pre-made, right? 
Trill Burger typically is fresh off of the grill, right? Most typically, if you order a Trill Burger and a pop up, they call your name. That burger just got wrapped. It just got put on the bun, just got wrapped up, put in a box, and handed to you. That's the kind of experience that we did with these burgers for the talent. We knew exactly how long it was going to take us to get to the stage from the booth, right? Along with what time they would be finishing up for the show. And so we would literally get these burgers to town within five minutes of them coming off the grill. And, and those people bite into that burger and you can see it in every testimonial that I have. And these are genuine testimonials. Like these are people that, someone like Action Bronson, who is not only a connoisseur, but a chef himself, would be more than happy, right? And more than confident enough to tell me if my burger was nice, right? Right. Just to- that he said, good job. That's that's a glowing review from an actor. Right. Sorry, man. Love International Players Anthem forever, but the burger didn't do it for me. You know? Yeah, it's beautiful. And I would appreciate that honesty, right? I would want to know if my burger was trash. I would need to know, right? Because sometimes you can be too close to these things, Eric. It's like your kids, you know? You know your kid's ugly, but if somebody tells you your kid's ugly, you're not going to receive that shit well. No, those are fighting words. <laughs> yes. All right, so I, I have to ask you about, well, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds of this, but, but I did want to ask you about one thing. You guys started this journey with Patsy and Benson from Sticky's Chicken, and I know they're no longer involved. So I was just wondering if you could sort of speak to kind of where you are in this process and, and kind, of how, kind of how that went, the, how well, that came to pass. It just came down to a different vision. You know, we decided that we were going in one direction. They were going in another direction. Um, we amicably, amicably chose to split. There's no bad blood. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about Patsy and Benson. I wish them the best in their future vineyards, in their future ventures. Um, but there was just a certain way that Trill Burgers had to operate, right? In order for us to go from this level to the next level. And we just couldn't do that. Collectively, we didn't have the same vision. So we obviously weren't looking to go in the same direction. And unfortunately, we had to split ties. But again, I wish them the best in everything they're doing. I have no ill will towards Patsy and Vincent. They did a great job preparing this burger for people um, in Houston. I mean, they they ran the rodeo for 28 days and the city fell in love with that burger because of them. So, you know, we appreciate everything they brought to the table. And, um, you know, I wish them the best. And hopefully I hope they would wish us the best. Yeah. All right. Uh, Good Morning America, obviously, has just been huge for you. How did that sort of come and, and maybe what's it been like, like since that rocket ship took off? A very, very random, um, I would, I guess, email Andy, I guess it wouldn't have been a call, right? Because Nick was the one that fielded this, right? Um, Nick is, Nick Skirtfield, who's a partner at Trill Burgers, um, is the point person for communication, uh, media, whatnot. So any inquiries about Trill Burgers, unless it's someone that knows me personally, typically goes through Nick. And so I remember Nick calling and saying, hey guys, good morning, America, just reached out. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he screenshot the email and I didn't know what to really say. I was like, how does something like this just happen? You know, I had, I had no idea whose radar we were on, right? Um, the opportunity came, I was more than happy. We had no idea who we were going to compete against until I want to say maybe a day before. And we found out it was Burger Chan, uh, who I'd heard great things about. I'd never made it over there. I'd seen it all the time 
because it's right next door to, to hit no makaze. Um, so I'd see it all the time. I don't know if I should have gave that away or not, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I think but, people know. I, well, we've certainly written about hidden omakase quite a bit, so I culture map readers certainly know where hidden omakase is. Okay, okay. I didn't want to give away anything for anybody. Um, and so I was really excited about it, and because it was such a major competition, um, we decided to bring in and one of Andy's partners, Chef Mike, who actually created the distinct recipe that we now know as the True Burger. A part of a two-man team that actually was developing Andy's smash burger concept with another chef, uh, Nando. And so Mike came in, Mike prepared the burger, and we won the Houston competition. Um, and they told us if you won on Tuesday, you had to be in New York on Thursday to compete on Friday. And so we went to New York on Thursday, um, brought our ingredients. Mike literally spent all day Thursday prepping sourcing and basically just kind of pacing around a hotel room until three in the morning, trying to make sure he had everything he needed to present this burger in the best way. And if you go and you look at this competition on GMA, you look at every judge's table, as well as the two on-air personalities off to the side, no one ate more of any burger than the true burger. Well, I'll say watching it on TV, not knowing the result. When two of the judges were like, oh, I like a thin patty, I, I felt like you had a shot because you yes. were the only one cooking, cooking in that style, right, with the crispy edges. And, and the other ones, like, no disrespect to their competitors, I'm sure they were tasty, but they were, they were kind of Baroque. Like, they, were, they had all kinds of weird stuff on them. And, like, sometimes I just want, like, a classic cheeseburger, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, look, here's the reality, Eric, of all four competitors. And don't get me wrong, these guys are all class acts. They, these are amazing chefs in their own right, right? But none of them are burger companies, right? So their burgers was their, was their burger on their general menu, but it's not what keeps the lights off. So their burgers tend to be like a, an avant-garde take on a burger, right? Because they can't really just concentrate on the beef because that's what the barbecue is for, or that's what the butcher's market is for, right? So it's got to be some kind of off-brand, um, kitschy kind of take on a burger, right? So that if someone does decide to order a burger at a barbecue place or a meat market or a butcher, right, then it has to be a pretty showy kind of a burger. And so, and, and look, I, I, I believe, right, that a hamburger with peanut butter on it, with a homemade jam spread, I bet that tastes good, right? But that's a burger you really have to be in the mood for, right? right. That's a destination burger. Yes. You know, like you wake up, you know what? I haven't had that peanut butter burger in a while. I'm going to head over. I'm going to head over there and try that burger, right? The same thing with the burger that had the papaya slaw. You know, they just weren't typical. I just want a burger burger. Right. And to, to the credit of Chef Mike, every one that we competed with made their burger for plating, like for service. Right. So it's literally a burger kind of pressed that put all this stuff on it, but it's kind of pressed down. You got the, 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 the toothpick in there to kind of keep it all together. Right. And it's this whole big monstrosity. It's the kind of thing you got to figure out how you're going to eat it. Right. But Mike presented our burger in a way where 
you can literally see every ingredient. So when you look at it, you can see the bun, you can see the sauce. He placed the pickles at the last minute so that they could stick out on the edge, right under the patties and the cheese. You can see every, every ingredient almost that was a factor in that burger before you ate it. It's just, it looks good, right? It literally, when you look at a true burger, and you can go on the Instagram page to see, I get calls all the time. Hey, man, when are you bringing that burger up here? That burger looks good. Every now and then, I just go on your page and look at it, you know? <laughs> I'm like, well, you're just greedy, bro. It's got nothing to do with, yeah, my burger's good, but you're just kind of greedy at that point. But but it, it, it literally is one of those things that doesn't disappoint, Eric. And you and I have had enough experiences to know that the plating of food and the tabling of food is not always the tasting of food. Sometimes a burger needs to be messy, right? Sometimes a taco needs to spill out of the shell, right? That's part of the experience. And I believe Thrill Burgers gives you that experience visually as well as as orally. Andy, let me let me ask you kind of about you're the restaurateur. So let me ask you, I mean, you know, three, four hour line at, at Eighth Wonder for uh, the most recent Troll Burgers pop up, you know, when the city hall thing happens, I'm sure it's going to be very well attended. What are your, what are your long-term plans for this concept? I mean, when are we going to get a, a Troll Burgers brick and mortar in Houston? That's what we're working on right now. You know, that, that, that's the goal. And we, when we build out this store experience, we want to do it right. We want the right location. We want to, to be more than just come and go. We wanted a place where people can come all the time, hang out, have a good time. Um, really tell the story about the brand as well, right? We've done all these pop-ups, but we, you know, with the store, you know, I think we're going to really take our time to to build a great interior, to, to make the interior look great. Uh, a lot of storytelling, a lot of messaging, a lot of more, uh, more more items on the menu that we still haven't introduced. You know, we still haven't even touched milkshakes or you know, different sandwiches or different burgers. Yeah, we, we still have a lot. We still have a lot in the playbook that we haven't pulled out yet. Okay, so maybe just elaborate just a little bit, like what are, like what is like maybe one or two of the other menu items that you sort of have, like you think you could put a troll burger spin on? I think we can, there's still so many different toppings that we haven't played with, and we have two amazing chefs that are are, are helping us develop the menu. I don't want to spill too much because you know we still have to do run through tasting and and making sure the whole team approves and and. Like I mentioned earlier, especially milkshakes, right? I come from, I have a, a, a long ice cream background already. So when we when we reach that that part of part of things, that we're, I think we're going to put out something amazing. And keep in mind, we do have the trill pie that that's an off menu item that will probably become an on menu item once we do activate a brick and mortar. Um, and that's something that for people that just don't necessarily want all the bread that day, and we just you know we we put the fries, uh, we put a um, two chopped patties uh, with cheese over a bed of fries uh, with a, you know, drizzle some trill sauce on it. We could put onion, um, some caramelized onions and pickles on it if you like. So it's closer to maybe like an animal style burger, animal style fry, right? With some meat on top. But those are the kind of things that we're looking to expand the menu on. We don't really want to go too far away from what we already offer people. So we don't, I mean, we're, we're a hamburger place, right? So we don't want to start offering spaghetti on the menu or something like that. But we are looking at things that will make sense under the Troll Burger menu. You know, when you see Troll Burgers and be like, oh, damn, I didn't know they were, what's this got to do with a burger? You know, you don't want that. You want it to be off-putting. But I do think there, you know, our chefs are going to have some fun 
playing around with, with extending the menu. And it's actually our chefs that are saying, we've got to expand this menu. So they're actively looking at different ways to, uh, to do just that. You know, we're sort of getting to the end here, but, but let me just, let me just ask you, Bun, I mean, what's your kind of long-term vision for this? I mean, Troll Burgers in Houston, Troll Burgers in Texas, Troll Burgers around the world. Like, like how big do you think you could grow this thing? My goal at, at the end, and I don't even know, Eric, I don't even know how long this would take or if I would still even be active a part of it. I don't even know if I'm around that long. But I, I see this brand as being, you know, somewhere between In-N-Out meets Chick-fil-A. Um, in terms of the way the product is presented and rolled out through the kitchen um, so that it gets the people piping hot as quickly as possible. But then also the service aspect, right? Trill Burger should be a reflection of me. Eric, you've known me for a while. I think I'm pretty polite, well-mannered, pretty personable, very easy to approach, right? Some would say friendly. I, I mean, I, I joked on Instagram, I think, you know, if you don't have a picture with Bun B, do you even live in Houston? I mean, it's you're not, you're a man of the people. You're out and about. Absolutely. And so I feel like my brand should reflect that, right? And so that's my biggest concern is that anyone that has on that Trillburger hat or T-shirt or whatever the eventual uniform would be for a brick and mortar treats people the way that I would treat people, right? I, I, don't, I don't start shit with people and I try... I try my best not to engage in bullshit with people, but obviously in the service industry, that's not going to happen. So I just need people who can do their best, right? Just do your best to, to stay professional and in the face of belligerent customers. That's the best I can hope for. But people are getting real out of hand right now um, in the service industry. So in terms of customers feeling, what, feeling like they could do anything, to employees in these places nowadays. And that's something I worry about, but I would hope that people would not come to Trill Burgers to disrespect. Right. No, don't, uh, what's it? Don't act a fool at Trill Burgers. Yeah. Well, look, just know, just know it's mine, you know, and, and you gotta know how you, you gotta know how I would react to you disrespecting me and mine. I just gotta feel like you would know that. So, <laughs> and you'd be a pariah if you became the guy in your neighborhood that went to Trill Burgers and like disrespected the joint, like nobody would want to even be around you anyway. So right, right. Banned from Trill Burgers is a bad look. That's a bad look. Like nobody wants to stand next to the guy that can't get a Trill Burger, <laughs> lest they be a guy that can't get one. Uh, all right. Well, let me. Uh, that's a pretty good place to wrap this up, Andy. Do you have any final thoughts before uh, any, yeah, any, any anything I haven't asked you about that you want to mention? I'm just I'm just excited for for what you know what's to come and then you know all the things that that have happened so far have been so unexpected and it's been a roller coaster of a journey but I'm I'm glad I'm you know I'm able to experience it with Bun and Nick and the rest of the team and um yeah um you know, hopefully hopefully it gets to go down this Sunday if not you know it'll be another day but uh, yeah I'm excited all right well gentlemen before I let you go we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Let's go. Bun B, what is your favorite ingredient? Cheese. Andy? Garlic. Andy, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? I don't remember. <laughs> Bun, how about you? Conway Twitty and Loretta Lynn at the rodeo. 
three years. <laughs> Bun, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Oh, God, you said with a drive-thru. So Chipotle doesn't count. Um, where's my wife? Jack in the Box tacos. <laughs> but, but I can get those with her at Liberty Kitchen during happy hour. So that's oh, yeah. my the, the fancy Jack in the Box tacos. Yeah, that's my way of churching it up. But if it's just me and she's not around, definitely Jack in the Box tacos. <laughs> Andy, how about you? Uh, Taco Bell's Mexican pizza. All right, Andy, I, I, I think I'm going to be pushing my luck with this question, but who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Hakeem Elijah. <laughs> that's a great answer. Bun, how about you? Earl Campbell. And then finally, when you go, when you order a pizza, what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni and jalapeno. Hot honey now. I like hot honey on my pizza now. And jalapeno. Word. Who, who does that? There's a, uh, do, you have can, do you guys have Cano Rosso in, in, um, in Houston? We, we, we did, and then they left. Uh, but yeah. I, think, uh, I think I saw it at, uh, I think I may have seen it at Pizarro's recently, and if not, Surely someone must. Eric, if you find it, let me know, please, sir. I will. Wait. I promise. I'll let you know. Um, Bun, give us the, the what's the best way to stay on top of Trollburgers? The website, Instagram, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So you can follow us at Trollburgers on social media. We're on all social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And we're doing surprisingly well on TikTok. Uh, so shout out to Nick for that one. I would have never guessed that we would have been a big deal, but I guess people like to watch uh, burgers sizzling on a grill over and over. And obviously celebrity endorsements by Buster Rhymes and Fat Joe and Jada Kiss obviously would, you know, help to that end. Um, but also trollburgers.com and for my page as well, because I'll typically post some stuff on my page concerning trollburgers um, that may be from a different vantage point, right? So most of the trollburger stuff is from Nick's phone, right? But every now and then, I'll have my phone out and I may have a different perspective. So just follow Bun B, but definitely follow Trillburgers on all social medias, just like it sounds. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Thank you guys for Eric for having us. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.